0: To monkey off my backlog the podcast where we exercise our pop culture demons by tackling our media to-do lists one week at a time i'm your host tessa and with me is my co-host sam returning as a special recurring guest star this week is andy hello yay andy's back this week we're doing more spooktober son of spooktober This week we are talking about horror TV. You know that thing that's like a film, but it's longer.
1: I didn't know you could do that.
0: I know, right? Like that works. It's not just like two hours of horror. It could be like eight or nine hours of horror. horror.
1: <laughs> I mean, for Ryan Murphy, it is because I think after like two hours, he's like, now let's do the funny part.
0: Yeah, let's do the funny parts before we scared you. Now let's, we're going to make you laugh. Let's
1: sing the name song in the scary asylum. That'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind that it, Sarah Paulson's character is being gaslit and committed again. Don't worry about that. Don't, it's the, don't it's time for the name song. Think about that. I know Adam Levine lost a body, but don't worry about it. The first scene of that season with the really scary racist trope thing that he did, he's not going to do anything with that. Jessica Lange is going to sing and it'll be fun. (laughs) If you haven't seen Nip Tuck, this might seem weird, but if you have, you know exactly what's happening.
0: Yeah, I feel like most Ryan Murphy television. Well, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about
1: American that. American Horror Story, glee, <laughs> the end. That's it. That's all I wanted to say.
0: Before we talk about individual horror television shows, though, I did want to open the general question of how is horror TV similar to horror film or different than horror film? Like what are sort of the technical and viewing differences between watching a film that is designed to horrify or terrify, or a television show that is designed to horrify or terrify. Andy, what do you? How do you feel about this distinction?
2: I have a bug up my butt about the differences between these because I feel like a real horror TV show cannot be more than one season long, or if it is more than one season oh. long, it cannot um, have the same cast or same you know through line. It has to be anthology after that first season.
0: Okay, so you are following like the Ryan Murphy format.
2: I appreciate the anthology stuff. It's, it's just, listen, if, if you're going to have a TV show and it's going to be horrifying, there have to be stakes for the characters. And unfortunately, that means a bunch of the characters getting killed. Right. And that's, that's the real problem here is with something that, that I feel is more horror themed, th- there aren't really stakes for the characters coming up
0: understand what you're saying because like the time difference between a film and a television show does affect the pacing of the horror in some pretty significant ways
2: right and it can also do a lot more I think fun things with character development uh character reaction to the situations that they're in etc
0: horror a genre famously committed to its character development yes
2: actually yes that's that's where the good horror movies are is character development um setup and also you get more i mean this is the reason why horror franchises are so like popular and well-loved is you get this uh, shorthand in the filming and the style of the scripts that say like hey do you call back to this do you remember this do you remember this well with a tv show they can do that much more often
0: right they can do that in the You're first right, season. exactly it doesn't have to be like yeah it doesn't have to be like subsequent films yep sam what do you think of this question
1: I believe I answered it with my summary of American Horror Story. If you want to make a horror story last for a season of television, you better have a really good idea of what you're doing. Otherwise, you're going to make something, but it won't be horror.
0: Well, how's that different than, say, like a bad horror film?
1: You know I hate bad horror films.
0: Well, yeah, but like what is the difference between a bad horror television show and a bad horror film?
1: What is a this? bad, well, okay. So a bad horror film does horror badly. A bad horror television st- show stops doing horror at some point.
0: Mm. I see. So it's more of like it can't commit to the genre.
1: Yes, because as Andy pointed out, there's a length issue here. I will say I, I recently
2: started uh, Midnight Club, which has...
0: Yeah, Jack, we, when we were hanging out with Jack yesterday. Are, are you a...
1: afraid of the dark, Andy?
2: God, that that was a terrifying show as a kid.
1: I mean that that's kind of what this is meant to be, yes. right?
2: Yes, it is. It, it's it's based on the book, but the one of the things about the early on because the situation is just uh, you know there's a, a meta horror narrative framing device, and the kids are telling each other scary stories as they're uh, terminally ill and dying. But the first story you hear, it has uh, it starts out really creepy, and then it just evolves into three straight minutes of jump scares we have heard about that yeah and and it is it is legitimately one of the funniest things because they use the same sound sting for the jump scare and they start the sound uh start to overlap like your kid pressing a, a a toy button too fast and it and it's the same like costume uh makeup constantly so it's the funniest thing it's it it really works it it's not scary but it's hilarious and
0: yeah i mean i think that horror always has this like horror and comedy exist along the same line right like it it is hard to do good horror without it being comedic it's hard to it's do like comedy Ghost and horror It's like Ghostface
1: can't stand up without falling down right basically. exactly there's and never so... a scene with ghostface where he doesn't fall down
0: yeah exactly and so or
1: she or they Go space contains multitudes.
0: (laughs) But like, so I like your point about this, Andy, about the idea of like, there are really two genres that that horror often encompasses. And so it is interesting to know, like, when are you still doing horror or when have you devolved into straight comedy? Can you balance those two things well?
1: There are two wolves in the horror genre's head. One is Jacob from Twilight and the other is Teen Wolf. <laughs> this scene
2: almost seems to be like I don't know, just commenting on the fact that like you can't, you can't keep that up. You like if you're trying to be a horror, you can't keep the, that that pace up. It can't be that scares after scare. It's one of the funniest things. It's not scary at all, and I'm totally going to show it to Sarah when she gets home.
0: Good luck with that.
2: She uh, she she will like it.
0: She she'll be terrified for after the first one. Maybe she'll
2: N- no no I don't no. Know. It it I don't not know. even the first <laughs> one's actually scary. Like it's. Yeah. It, it's great.
0: All right. Let's go to our first horror television show that we're discussing today. It's the one that Sam chose, which is the Vampire Diaries, which I think I like pressured you to watch after we started watching Dawson's Creek. You did. So tell us a little bit about this show, Sam.
1: We've talked a lot about Kevin Williamson recently. We talked about Dawson's Creek. We've talked about the faculty. We've Talked about the connection of Wes Craven. we you know, spent a lot of time talking about Kevin Williamson lately. So, Kevin Williamson also created, as we have mentioned, The Vampire Diaries. So, I know what you're thinking. If you are unfamiliar with The Vampire Diaries, you are thinking, at this point, is this Dawson's Creek with vampires? Yes. And then what you're thinking is, isn't that just Twilight? Well... The key difference is that Twilight is based on a YA series. But then you say Vampire Diaries is a YA series, isn't it? And so then I say, wait, is the Vampire Diaries Twilight?
0: And what's your answer?
1: Yeah, it kind of is.
0: I mean, I think it's much, well, much better than Twilight, well, but that's my personal that's opinion. Not, that's not the conversation. <laughs> gotcha.
1: It is better than Twilight. It doesn't take a lot. It doesn't take a lot.
0: I mean, this came out, this is definitely one of the the romance series that was very much influenced by Twilight.
1: I will point out that the lead of the Twilight movies is the Batman. However, the lead of the Vampire Diaries is Captain James T. Kirk now. That's true. I mean, you know, there are definitely similarities. So, you know, the Vampire Diaries was created by Kevin Williamson and Julie Plett who pressured Williamson to adapt this, even though his first reaction was, this kind of seems a lot like Twilight to me. He, as we'll talk about in a little bit, got hooked on the small town drama stuff. You know, the, the vampire stuff is really a red herring for him. Julie Pleck, it's worth saying a little bit more, she was an assistant to Wes Craven on Scream. And was able to move up to associate producer and then co-producer on two and three. Julie Pleck is the one who created both of the Vampire Diaries spinoffs, the originals and legacies.
0: I did not know that.
1: Well, now you do. We should do a podcast where we tell people things they didn't know. (laughs) So the Vampire Diaries is set in the fictional town of Mystic Falls, Virginia, which has a history of vampires. Not unlike... Bella's dad's town up there in Washington. Although this place is not called spoons. It's called Mystic Falls. Fork. Get it? Because forks, yeah. is, <laughs> right? Yes. Although if we're really really lucky, maybe Paul Wesley will have a there is a Spock uh analog cuz they've recast Spock in that that new universe of discovery yeah. and, right? So it's
0: Gregory Peck's Right. grandchild. So
1: maybe there will be a Spork. In uh, related to the vampire diaries, at some point, perhaps, right? Anyway, thank you all for listening to Sam Watches Star Trek. Something is important about Mystic Falls residence, Al- Elena Gilbert, played by Nina Dobrev, who people seem to like a little bit. Don't really know why, it's fine, don't worry about it. She is befriended by Stefan Salvatore, Paul Wesley, and tormented by Stefan's brother, Boone Carlisle. <laughs> That's right, Ian Somerhalder. She she meets these two brothers after the death of her parents, and it turns out she happens to look exactly like Catherine, a vampire who turned the Salvatore brothers in 1864. There's a show. That's the show. That's the show. There's a show. That's it.
0: Because it's a doppelganger situation.
1: It is a doppelganger situation.
0: Right, yeah. So... Obviously, there are more characters than this, though.
1: (laughs) There are so many characters. There is, I mean, the, the one of note to mention, like, I don't want you to get bogged down in characters because we need to talk about other elements of this show. But the other, I think I would argue the fourth lead on the show is Cat Graham as Bonnie Bennett, who is a werewolf. Okay, hold on. This isn't Twilight. She's a witch, not a werewolf, a witch. Will this show have werewolves eventually? Probably. Will it have yeah. witch wolves but it is, eventually? It seems different? like a good guess. But, but remember, much like Ms. Pac-Man is just Pac-Man with a bow, and that's an important difference. The other character is a witch, not a werewolf. It's important. Mm-hmm. It's important. Witch wolf.
0: Yes. So, <laughs> witch wolf. This one. So, <laughs> so you mentioned- the teen one. You mentioned already that Kevin Williamson, and we talked about this a little bit when we talked about meta horror, has definitely made this turn into television, made this turn into the teen drama. Although, as we talked about, it's always kind of been there in his work, even when he was making films. How does he balance this small town drama with these precocious teens, these elevated teens, as we've talked about before, with the horror elements of the show, of which there are many?
1: So, I mean, that's the thing, right? You you know, talking about horror television, it it may be kind of a stretch to call Vampire Diaries horror. It could be horror adjacent.
0: I mean, there's a lot of gore in the
1: show. Oh, I mean, there's a lot of horror elements. Right. But it is a small town teen drama. It is not a horror television show. Okay. I, I think it's important to differentiate the two. It is one of the more horror leaning mainstream shows. It's not Ryan Murphy's event television. It is Kevin Williamson's Dawson's Creek, but that one episode at Halloween in the first season every single week. Gotcha. As I said, Kevin Williamson was really brought to it by the small townness of it. If you like your small town drama with a bunch of supernatural teenagers running around, this is the show for you. That'll be fun, right? It's like Twilight, but occasionally fun.
0: And actually way more sexy than Twilight.
1: Well, yes.
0: Like a thousand percent more sexy yeah. than Twilight.
1: But but Kevin Williamson goes all in on the small town drama. In the first season, there's high school football, a sock hop, no less than 57 carnivals, <laughs> a night of the comet festival, a sexy car wash, A Miss Mystic Falls pageant, a Founders Party, a Founders Day Kickoff Party, a Founders Day Parade, a Founders Day Circus, a Founders Day Memorial 5K Fun Run. This was the joke part of the list, and I wrote down 5K Fun Run as a joke, but then I realized that did actually happen. (laughs) A Founders Day Bachelor Auction, same episode as the 5K Fun Run, and a Founders Day Heritage Display. That one? Sounds like a racist caricature that belongs in the vault with Disney's Song of the South. But I'll let you guess whether or not it actually happens.
0: I mean, I think that that is a very interesting connection to make, though, because this does take place in Virginia. And it takes place in this small town that is very proud of its history, even though parts of its history that are very supernatural are sort of covered up by the main town council because they don't want to scare anybody. But... There is this connection with, like, the Confederacy, right. with the South. I mean, it kind. there are times that this reminds me a little bit of True Blood, although mm. this show is much more critical of the Confederacy than right. True Blood is.
1: Right. This uh, And so this show is very flashback heavy. You know, Nina Dobrev is playing a character and the character's doppelganger. <laughs> I'm going to pronounce her last name well. differently every single time I say it, by the way. <laughs> Which she does very well. Uh, I right. Think. It's interesting. And, you know, having seen the beginning of the second season, I know that that continues. But here's the thing to think about. My big critique, I will phrase in the following. The small town drama thing might be interesting. Adding the supernatural element makes it more interesting. But my main complaint about this show is that all the interesting side characters are killed off way too quickly. There is a very high body count. It's all, it is, again, at the very least, horror adjacent. The football coach. The, the <laughs> trope of the mean football coach. He doesn't get to terrorize his students very long because he dies almost immediately. Think about what the faculty would have been like if the T-1000 had been killed in the first five minutes. Instead of being around to terrorize the students through the whole movie. This show is so packed with with plot, as I was telling you before we started recording. like this is just a fraction of what goes on during the season. I'm leaving out entire characters, entire storylines. I am giving you about twenty percent of the plot from the first season. Now how many episodes is a season? full full twenty two I believe
0: yes,
2: give or take. I haven't seen a single moment of the Vampire Diaries. But I have watched a a two-and-a-half-hour video essay on the entire
1: plot line and
2: insanity that is The Vampire Diaries.
1: Elena has a younger brother, Jeremy. Mm -hmm. He is in love with a character named Vicky, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And this character, it turns out, he gets the girl. Good for him. Well, she's dead now.
0: Well, and she's an interesting character because she's like quote-unquote, white trash. Yeah, she's like my favorite
1: character from the whole show, and she's dead now. And so they were like, that's okay. Don't worry about poor Vicky. Here's a character named Anna, who's played by a very interesting actor, given some good stuff. Here is your turn-me-into-a-vampire narrative, right? Well, Anna dies too. Because of course she does. Right. Right? Of course. And uh, so that's not, you know, like the mayor dies because he outlived his usefulness. An entire tomb's worth of vampires get done away with. And I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Tomb vampires. Right? Like, what are those? Well, turns out, going back to the flashbacks, the founders, the founding families of this town, super fun and confederate, they had a secret society, not the clan, but a secret society that was like, well, the clan except vampire hunters. Actually, <laughs> that's kind of what it is. And so their solution was to trap all the vampires and bury them alive in a tomb. This sounds smart. It it not only does it sound smart, it is that moment. Are we the baddies? Yeah. Dot gif. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's that's what it is. And so, yeah, right around the time that the Salvators are turned in flashback, we get to see that the vampires were all trapped in this tomb. And then in present day, the uh, well, Damon Salvatore is trying to unleash these vampires back into the world because Elena's doppelganger Catherine is in there. Dot, dot, dot.
0: Right. There is this like really interesting tension between Stefan and Damon, especially in the first part of the first season where Stefan is in love with Elena and knows that she's like not Catherine. But Damon is like has sworn vengeance on Stefan throughout and all time for killing Catherine or getting her trapped in right. the tomb. And so there's a lot of those like back and forth who's in love with who type of conversation. Right.
1: And let's talk about Damon for just a second. He's the bad guy. Nah, he's an anti-hero. He's too sexy. He really to be a bad has guy. a heart of gold, that boon. Oh no, he's definitely the bad guy. Now Okay, but hear me out. Maybe he's actually the good guy. No, he's definitely the bad guy. Unless he isn't.
2: Okay.
0: Yeah, they do kind of go back and forth this character a lot in the early seasons.
1: Before we move on, let me just give you one more plot point to consider. Mm-hmm. One more horror trope. This is a town full of vampires and the vampires are being hunted. You have morally good vampires, morally gray vampires and morally dark side vampires. I don't know. Morally evil. Well, that's by your definition of morality, Sam. So there there has to be a Buffy or there has to be a Van Helsing. Otherwise, is it even a vampire thing? Well, what if I told you? What if I told you there was a Van Helsing? I I would believe you. I'd believe that there were
2: several Van Helsings.
1: But it's a high school, small town drama. Van Helsing has to be a teacher at the high school, right? That just stands to reason. He is very, very good at hiding who he is for like five minutes. (laughs) But for for the savvy horror aficionado, before that five minutes even happens you will know that he is a Van Helsing because his name is Alaric Saltzman. (laughs) The most Van Helsing-y name ever Van Helsing'd by a Van Helsing, right?
0: He's the history teacher to replace the history teacher that was also murdered at the beginning of the season. (laughs) Yes.
1: Now, now, I know what you're thinking. For those of you, Andy, Mm -hmm. for those of you who grew up in the South, Mm -hmm. I know what you're thinking. This guy is not just a history teacher, but he is a local history buff because this is one of those high schools that talk about local history. Uh-huh. And well, if that's what you're thinking, you're exactly, right?
0: Didn't he go to Duke?
1: Uh probably. Well, Duke sucks. So, <laughs> I so. know a lot of you just booed at your Don't turn it off cuz Tessa said Duke. Yeah, Duke sucks. Uh so I'm
0: just saying, I know he like went to a university close okay. by.
1: Right? So we're checking off all the boxes for this Van Helsing teacher dude, right? He has a tragic backstory. He has to. He has to. Was his wife killed by a vampire? Obviously. Obviously. Right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's like typical Van Helsing right here. We're like all good. We've checked off all the boxes. Plot twist. His wife wanted to be turned into a vampire. (gasps) I was going to guess that as a joke. Nope. That's what happened.
0: And there are so many more twists with the storyline just in season one.
1: Oh my god, we! I, I am talking about one season of television, and I haven't even mentioned. Let me think. One, two, three, at least four other main characters. I haven't even mentioned their existence. There's a friend. There's the ex-boyfriend. There's the. Uh, there's there's their aunt who is a nominal parent. I mean, there's so many characters. It's just like, there is so much going on. And yet, every episode ends up being, starting to feel very familiar. And that is a complaint that I have. This show, so we watched maybe the first two or three episodes of the second season. And I said to Tessa, do I want to keep watching this? Is it going to be the same? Is it just going to be this over and over again? I am not going to watch 20 seasons of an expanded universe if we're going to keep doing the same goddamn thing every week to which you replied.
0: No, they don't do the same thing every week.
1: Well, good. I might keep watching it then.
0: Okay. I have two questions for you before we, uh, before we move on. The first one is I wanted to go back to Kat Graham as Bonnie Bennett because she has been written about as a character, uh, by Ebony Elizabeth Thomas specifically is who I think about this, but This does seem to be both Kevin Williamson and the CW's attempt to talk about race and to have like an actual black character with things that are attached to blackness. All the witches in this show are black. And I find that to be very interesting. But there's also this idea like Catherine, her ancestor was Catherine's best friend slash servant, right? Which there's a whole lot of like racial stuff there. Yeah,
1: here's the thing about that. I'll just, I'll just say it. This is what happens when two white people try to do black girl magic. Right. I mean, and
0: that's no offense to Kat Graham, who is an excellent actor.
1: No. And, and, and I mean, I think what we've, what we've seen in terms of reaction is this character isn't done in the best way possible, but we do have this character and you think about it as opposed to, this is a character who's written as a black This isn't Hermione being quote-unquote changed into a black woman. The audacity, of course, to do that, right? This is a character you cannot fault. And by you, I mean white supremacists. Right. Right. Not that there aren't criticisms of this character from that end anyway. I will say, though, if you want to talk about a North Carolina witch who is a black girl who is written by a black person, this is where I say read Legendborn by Tracy Dion instead. Because that is a book precisely about Southern and bigger than Southern magical traditions in which the the black girl and her ancestors have a very unwelcome place. And she's trying to discover why that exists, change it, and figure out who she is. Which is what Bonnie should be. Right. And I don't know where her character goes in seven more seasons, but there you are.
0: Uh, I can tell you it's not going to be as good as Legend 4. No. The other question I was going to ask you, you mentioned that so much plot happens in this show. Mm -hmm. Often our complaint about shows, television in general, is pick up the pace. Why is nothing happening? Like this was a whole episode where nothing happened. We've talked about this before with like Netflix Marvel shows. We've talked about it in Uh, the context of Picard season two. Like there's a lot of this that happens now. Which like is it is too much plot better than not enough plot?
1: Ah, the pop culture monkeys paw. (laughs) Oh, I don't know. I mean, there are some pretty I mean Alan Ball wrote some pretty ponderous episodes of True Blood. Now, he wrote some batshit crazy episodes where a lot of things happened, too.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: so, I don't know. I mean, like, there's got to be a middle ground. And one of these days, somebody's going to find it. One of these days.
0: Pacing problem.
1: Yeah. I I don't know. It's tough. It's tough. I enjoyed what I watched. But when we started watching the second season, I was like, we're still doing this. Right. You have to grow.
0: Right. And, and they will, I think. You'll like where the I, season I goes. Will. But- and,
1: and here's the thing. Having seen all of Dawson's Creek, which does grow, and it falls flat on its face a couple of times, but I think the ending of it is pretty good. Smallville, as another example of a CW show, also understood that it had to grow. I did not make it all the way through that show. Right. Because it became so different from what it was originally, it was no longer the thing that I wanted to watch.
0: Gotcha. That oh. might have
1: answered your question.
0: <laughs> I was going to actually ask Andy. What What do you think? Too little plot or too much plot? What's worse?
1: It really
2: depends. If that too little plot is set with a good amount of uh, creative camera work and some character development and good acting, yeah, sure.
1: Okay. That's right. better.
2: But if it's too much plot with zero character development, meh. I gotcha. I'm, I gotcha. I mean, it, it's it's a balancing act. And uh, I I... For one, don't think a how how long is this show? Seven season, nine season, eight season,
1: and it's a CW show, which they are classically known for for the care that they take into episodic planning, right? Classically, a, a,
2: exactly. That's that's the problem. Now, like I said, I've seen a two and a half hour YouTube video by Jenny Nicholson. It's amazing and breaks down the entire insanity roller coaster ride that is this show. And uh,
0: there are eight seasons. There are
2: eight seasons. Yes. To Answer your question. Yes. And uh, and two spinoffs. I'm more likely to watch Riverdale for the same for an even higher level of insanity.
0: Well, because Riverdale doesn't even try to pretend that it makes sense.
2: No,
1: I Whereas saw. Whereas
0: Vampire Diaries does nominally try to pretend that it does make sense.
1: I I told you about that that tweet that I saw that was was complaining about how Riverdale was really great in season one, but they had to stop watching when they developed superpowers. And I was like, they what? <laughs> they what? We need to start catching up on this show yeah, right now.
0: Absolutely.
1: Oh man, I had a good time. I had a good. I really did. I had a good time. And as I said, my. My thoughts about the show are that it is a much more entertaining experience with than Twilight.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: And it is appropriate to compare it to Twilight, I think. Yeah. I think that's completely appropriate. That's not a that's not a dig or anything else. If I when I do go back, when we do go back and start watching more episodes of season 2, I am excited to see it develop. And I would keep watching it if it did so. I think it's I think if you like any of the Kevin Williamson stuff that we've talked about, you should give this a shot. Paul Wesley is Captain Kirk. That, that, that is, is true so too. much fun.
0: Yeah, that is absolutely true.
1: He is he's very good for the part.
0: Let's pause very briefly in our discussion of the shows and talk about big names in horror TV because it does seem like with as long with Kevin Williamson, there are sort of these people who are responsible for making horror TV, who are big names in that field. Uh, we've already talked about Ryan Murphy, who's the obvious one who comes to mind because he's been making American Horror Story for a while. He's been doing other horror things. I think even Nip Tuck has a lot of horror in it. He has recently been experiencing somewhat of a backlash with Dahmer, even though it is extremely popular as a television show. A lot of people are question A lot of people are questioning the ethics of making that show. So I personally don't I've fallen as much as I liked American Horror Story season one. Ryan Murphy's kind of fallen out of favor with me, not just because of Dahmer, but just because I just don't really enjoy watching his stuff anymore. Like, it, he's obviously good at what he does, and I find his fascination with American mythology to be very interesting, like the urban legend of American mythology. But I just don't enjoy watching it. So I want to hear from you, though. Like, what are some other big names in this particular medium and genre? All
2: right. First of all, Eric Kripke. Yes. All right, creator of Supernatural. He went on to make The Boys, which I would argue has a lot of horror elements in it. Overall, though, I think uh, Supernatural really was the the thing that uh, also influenced Vampire Diaries. I have no doubt if Supernatural wasn't very popular that um, they wouldn't have even bothered. If I hear that Kripke's is doing something, I'm probably a little bit interested in it, especially with how well The Boys was adapted. We've got Mike Flanagan, of course who is the director of The Haunting of Hill House, The Haunting of Bly Manor, Midnight Mass, and Midnight Club.
0: That's right. I had forgotten that all four of those were his, but yeah, big name.
1: I hope his next series is called The Midnight Haunting. Mm,
2: Maybe. We'll see. (laughs) Actually, it's uh, Fall of the House of Usher. So close. Yeah. So So close. close. They
1: could have called it that, and it would have worked.
2: (laughs) Uh, You also have Robert Kirkman. Oh, yeah. The Walking Dead fellow. I mean, Walking Dead is still one of the strangely, for some reason, largest uh, horror-related yeah. you know TV shows. Uh, TV. They also worlds. got
0: uh, Fear of the Walking Dead too.
2: Yeah, and well, and right. then Brave New World. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's another another Walking Dead spinoff coming out with um, Rick Grimes and Michonne. Uh, it's it's a lot. But Kirkman also, uh, you know, his other work like Invincible was. Uh, Adapted, and I, th- I still, I think that is a very impressive horror as well. Once you realize what it's about, then we have Del Toro, Guillermo Del Toro himself. He is quite a fan of of TV, and well, really just a fan of horror. But he gets to do what he wants. He did the um, the Strain, that entire series. But he also ended up like creating uh, the Troll Hunter universe on Netflix, which is a very good, very horror. Um, Based, and uh, coming up this year, uh, his cabinet of curiosities,
0: right? Which I every time I think of the show Cabinet of Curiosities, I just keep thinking of the pictures I've seen of his house, which are basically, it, it is basically a cabinet of curiosities. <laughs> his house is like full of horror paraphernalia, and it's very interesting.
2: You'll notice that all of these people that we're talking about are men for for various reasons. I think horror TV is. A big ask. Uh, of course, Jordan Peele also is very involved in horror. Uh, I think, like uh, the whole Twilight Zone Rod Serling thing works.
1: Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's weird.
0: That's a pretty good yeah, list.
1: I mean, I think one of the things that you bring up with with women doing horror. Spoilers for the first episode of She-Hulk. The first episode of She-Hulk. Sometimes men and women experience emotions differently because of the world around them. And so I think that, you know, in the world of cinema, I think we're, we're seeing more women do pretty much everything, including horror. But I think one of the reasons we haven't seen it as much on television yet is that the horror stories that, that many women would tell, I'm, I'm being a little essentializing here and there's always exceptions, but it's going to be a different kind of horror. You know, one thing that's interesting about Murphy is one of his shows that we haven't talked about yet is Scream Queens, which I found to be pretty unwatchable, but he made that show with the original Scream Queen. And, and, and I would, I would have said prior to David Gordon Green's attempt at Halloween I would have said, I think that Jamie Lee Curtis lends a little bit of authenticity. But if she had that authenticity from everything that I've heard about Halloween, it ain't there. So I wonder how much she has to do with with conceiving of either one of these projects.
2: She's great in the new Halloween trilogy. She's She's wonderful. She's awesome, Jamie Lee Curtis, especially in the first one, which is actually a good movie. Right. I think she wanted to check out from it and gave her best in the first movie.
1: And of course, Nev Campbell has now exited from her franchise as well. Mm-hmm. And and I think and and that actually ties into it. She has publicly stated that they could not pay her enough. Mm-hmm. And it really it brings up a key thing to think about. When you invest in a woman, a woman's story, and then you hire an actor like Jamie Lee Curtis or Nev Campbell or Heather Lakin Camp, and then continuing to make the movies from a male gaze. It's no wonder that a lot of these people are gonna check out.
2: Oh, I could talk about uh, the problems with Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends all night now. Right, yeah. but
1: but you know, and to go back to Kirkman brand horror for a second, only at Costco. That <laughs> <laughs> it's very close. That show has been classically also not good. In, in how uh, the women are written. For all that we know about Michonne being a badass, I don't know how much they've gone into her backstory in the show because I stopped watching a long time ago, but it's not great. It's not great. You could argue it's a reverse fridging, but you could also argue there's no such thing. You know. But like, why is she a badass? Well, because she was tired of being a sad person who lost her man well alrighty then right and so I I, it's a really interesting observation that all these people are men and and within these men you have very different people I mean I think out of that
0: whole list of people that you just mentioned Flanagan is probably and I haven't seen as many Flanagan things but from what I've heard he's the one who's invested more into women characters than the rest of these showrunners
2: right now I, I will say there are other there the I think the problem is that if you are somebody who makes your name in a horror TV show or horror film, that's not all you want to do. That's your foot in the right. door. And you you know like I wouldn't be surprised if the Duffer brothers go on to do something completely different from Stranger Things after it's done or Misha Green who she covered uh, Lovecraft Country, I'm sure she could go off and do different things too. Same thing with uh, Yellow Jackets. Like, it, it it is very hard to find people who, like, they want to make horror their thing and keep at it.
0: No, that totally makes sense because horror classically has been like that. You you do a horror to get your experience and then you do a real movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. And that's, of course, from people who don't respect the genre.
1: Well, and what's inter- really interesting about that is you brought up the Duffer Brothers who started in horror. Mm-hmm. With Wayward Pines, which was a trash fire of a show. And, a and trash. so, the, you know, when, when, oh my God, it's so bad. It makes Stranger Things look like the Mona Lisa of television. You know, all complaints about that aside. And you think about, you know, it's funny, David Gordon Green, who's done a reverse what you said, Andy, mm-hmm. you know, who started off as an acclaimed indie film director. Descended into best friendship with uh, Danny McBride and then came back to a film career with this Halloween trilogy. I do not understand that man at all. But that's OK. I just, it, you know, as we have this discussion longer and longer, it occurs to me this is why I don't like horror film.
0: Oh, because of the male. Yeah. Privileged perspective. Yeah. 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 Well, speaking of Scream Queens, Mm -hmm. that was my segment until we all started talking some more about these people.
1: What else can we possibly say about Scream Queens, (laughs) Tessa? I don't know.
0: Let's talk about what you decided to watch this week, Andy. Scream, the television show. Yes. Season three.
2: Yes, season three. Specifically season three and not the other two seasons. Scream, the TV series, is quasi-anthology, I guess. They... uh. They reboot the the series after the first two seasons. So it's like a skins thing. You know, new cast, new everything. Uh, so, so something interesting happened between season two and season three. And that is the Harvey Weinstein of it all.
0: That thing that happened. Right.
2: Which, by the way, after seeing Scream 3, I will say Scream 3 is literally screaming, this is what Harvey Weinstein does. Yeah, absolutely. Uh absolutely. I, I I do not know how how that that got that got made, but in retrospect it's incredibly disturbing to watch. This one is uh made almost in reaction to Harvey Weinstein, I would think. Uh Queen Latifah is the executive producer. Interesting. This is a first of all, it's a much shorter s- season. The other seasons are like 10 or 13 episodes. This is 6 episodes long. Starts with a new new cast It's a very diverse cast, uh, unlike the other casts, apparently. And the other reason that I picked this one specifically was it had bad reviews.
0: Okay. Why did that attract you to this season?
2: It had bad reviews, and all the reviews said, like, all of them said the same thing. The horror is not here. The character writing is.
0: Okay. That's intriguing.
2: So I was able to use that to go, hey, Sarah. I need to watch this. Can it? All these reviews say that it is not scary, and I will say it is not scary, but it is very much Scream.
0: Okay, all right. How is it Scream?
2: Beyond beyond the the, the meta ness of it all, uh, Scream season three all, takes place in Atlanta, and it set the setup is that uh, Dion Elliot, who is a high school running back, normal. Story of a black kid trying to get out of poverty and go, you know, go pro and football. When he was younger, his little, his twin brother, Marcus, was killed by the hook man played by Tony Todd himself. Tony Todd being, of course, Candyman. Right. Right.
0: So a little meta reference there.
2: Right. A, a, a little, a little meta reference there is really good. And then he winds up getting detention and him, and he's getting stalked by a mysterious murderer who is calling him and teasing him, saying that he knows the truth and he wants to see who he is on the inside.
0: Classic ghostface.
2: R- yes, very classic ghostface. And um, I will say one of the things I love about Ghostface more than any other slasher killer. Ghostface is just a person. There is yep. there is zero zero supernatural or unexpected about ghostface's power uh, uh ability to take damage etc it is so wonderful it's why he, to see they that.
0: have him fall down a lot yeah like sam said earlier yeah it's to emphasize that
2: and also something i don't think that is done enough and i know it was done in urban urban legends is the idea of okay we have a group of friends one of us is the killer we do not know who right all the other slashers right. it's like oh jason's coming oh freddy's coming oh uh michael myers is coming we know exactly who they are uh the the mystery of who it is and the balancing of real re- of red herrings and real herrings i guess
0: <laughs> are they blue herrings if they're real
2: maybe i i don't know sam what what, what do you think what what would
1: what would real what red color
0: herrings? would be the Oh,
1: I, I, well, see, I, I dispute your, um, your color. It's a descriptor, red herring. You know, the descriptor is red, so I think we're talking about tinned herrings. Oh, the one you can actually eat. Gotcha. Okay.
0: Tinned herrings.
1: Right. Red herrings are classically herrings that are too spicy for the average human to eat.
0: Are you punking us? And our right best
1: now? and our best ignored. Ah. But but people can't. I mean. People are like these must be tasty, so they cannot help themselves from, you know.
0: I think we're being trying
1: to find the it. red herring, and and that's just the way it is. Mm. That's that that's
2: all true. Okay. Well, anyway, Dion in in the first episode gets detention, and a bunch of other misfits get detention, and they form the Dead Fist Club.
0: Nice little another meta reference there.
2: Very meta. It it goes well. The Dead Fist Club contains actors Kiki Palmer. Kiki Palmer's the the really like big name. Uh Tyler Posey of um of Teen Wolf fame is up here. Gion Yao Goyello uh plays Kiki Palmer's best friend Manny, who's gay. You've got Jessica Sula from Skins, season three. You, you've got you've got a great cast here. You've got a great cast. Rj RJ Siler plays Dion Elliott. Like, this is a Solid cast. R.J. Seiler, um, famous as from as being Earl from *Me Earl and the Dying Girl*. Right. Yeah. 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 So, so this is a wonderful, fun cast of characters as they're going through and dealing with with Ghostface in hilariously bad ways. Like, like, like this. This uses the um, the scream style to go full Riverdale, where. You you know characters can say things like but you tried to kill me and then make out with with each other like within w- within the same scene uh, it is over the top.
0: Kevin Williamson would be so proud.
2: Yes yes uh, this is it it is over the top. Characters make the worst choices and instead of doing the smart thing and getting the heck out, they keep coming back and making worst choices, but these choices are also weirdly believable. Uh like weirdly believable um for the really wonderful character development and settings. This is awesome. Uh I, I thought it was really good, really well done. The reveal is great and of course the, the reveal is done in typical scream fashion where there is a meta reason.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, so would you say that even though it wasn't very scary, it still is very in the tradition of Scream?
2: Yeah, so so here here's the thing. I don't think any of the Screams are really scary. Scream, most of the time, 90% of the time, the, the deaths that happen in Scream are with a knife and then stab, 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 and that's it, and there's just blood. You, you don't have the guts. You don't have the visceral des- destruction of the human body and flesh. You just have the stabs.
0: Which is the name of the Scream franchise within the Scream franchise. That's right. That's
2: right. And I want to see Stab 8. That's all I'm going to say. (laughs) This will make way more sense to people who have seen Scream 5. Or Scream, as it's called, properly. Anyway, just... This is fun. Like, If you like Riverdale, if you like the the teenage drama and the, the meta nudge, nudge, wink, winks to... Yeah, we totally know what we're doing. It it works. Kiki Palmer is wonderful in this. The only actor who does not work is Sula from from Skins, but she's Welsh and just doing a pretty bad American accent, I would say.
0: <laughs> That's always fun.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Y- you know, give, give it a shot. I, I found this to be a fun ride, and I was constantly talking with Sarah about who we thought the killer was. And really... That is one of the fun things between episodes. Be like, okay, with this new information, if this is real, who's the killer? And then, if this is not real, who's the killer? Explain this. And a lot of conversations were had about it. It was, it was fun.
0: That's always good when you can watch something with someone else and have conversations. That's sometimes the best viewing experience, I think. Uh, but my final question for you is: Could someone who hasn't seen the first two seasons Abs- of the show, one hundred percent, there is there is
2: there is season. zero overlap?
0: Okay. That was my main question. It doesn't
2: even feel like there's Easter eggs.
0: So so somebody could just start this season. And six episodes, so yeah. it sounds like you could get through it. All right. Well, I'm going to go to another television show, which is not meta horror at all. In fact, it's a very different kind of horror than either of the two shows that we have talked about before.
1: Although, we saw a meta reference to this show in another show.
0: That is true. Uh, and we just realized that last night. So I watched the television show Evil... Which is a supernatural drama sh- a supernatural drama series created by Robert and Michelle King. That's right. The kings who created "The Good Wife" and "The Good Fight, they decided to make a horror television show.
1: They decided to make the good evil.:
0: They decided to make the good evil, no, just evil. although that is kind of funny that their first two shows are "The Good yes. Wife," "The Good Fight," and then Evil. Yes. That, that is, I didn't really think about that before, but yeah. So they've done le- legal drama; they've done it very well. So now they're they've big, made it turn into horror television. Um, it is a CBS show, although I want to talk about one of our viewing experiences here in a moment. I
1: I, I want to point out really quickly: it is a CBS show. In season one, it moved fully over to Paramount Plus. Right. Yes. So, so it is can, no longer a network TV. That show. makes me very
2: interested.
0: The, the series is sort of more of an ensemble series, but it's uh, ensemble series, but it's led by Katya Herbers, Mike Coulter, who people will know from both The Good Wife, The Good Fight, and Luke Cage, um, and Asif Mandevi, Kurt Fuller, Marty Matulis, and everybody's lost favorite, Michael Emerson, who plays sort of the big bad of at least the first part of se- season one. So basically... the premise of the show is that Kristen Bouchard, who's played uh, by Katya Herbers, is a forensic psychologist who teams up with a Catholic priest in training, David Acosta, who's played by Mike Coulter, and a technology expert, Ben Shakir, to investigate alleged supernatural incidents. So she, at the beginning of the show, uh, she works for the DA's office in New York, but she, so what ends up happening is the person that she's evaluating is his wife, who is a Catholic, calls the church because she's claiming that he's possessed by a demon. And like that's who killed all of these people. And so the church sends one of their investigators, David Acosta, to investigate whether this is like actually demon possession or not. And so as David explains to Kristen, there is a huge backlog of cases that the Catholic church, and this is real, there's so many supernatural incidents that are claimed throughout the world that are reported to the Catholic church, that there's this huge backlog of things that haven't been investigated yet, but they have to investigate all of them. And whether it's like a possession or a miracle or like sainthood, like all of that stuff, they have to like investigate it. So like, that's his job. And really the way I could best describe this show is that, that it's the X-Files meets the good fight meets supernatural because Basically, the dynamic between the three members of the team are David Acosta is a believer. Like, he believes that all of this stuff is real. He is a, a member of the Catholic Church. He is a priest in training. But he hires Kristen and Ben to be the counterpoint to his belief. They are skeptics. They do not believe in, neither of them are Catholic. Neither of them are religious. Uh, Both of them believe that there are either psychological or technological reasons to explain everything that happens. And so he specifically wants them to be in his team to balance out his belief. Like he sees it as a good investigative team has to like argue about these things and look at all of these different factors So that's where you get your X-Files. You get like the skeptic and the believer investigating alleged supernatural phenomena. It's very much like the good fight and the good wife in some of its focus, which we'll talk about here in a minute. But the episodes are very much like supernatural in that, like they get an assignment. They have to go see if it's actually like real or not. And a lot of this stuff is really creepy. A lot of it's stuff. This stuff is very strange. And so there's I, all of the incidents that happen in the show. What I think I love the most about the show is that they could be explained by scientific means. In fact, a lot of times Kristen does come up with an explanation like this is what is happening or Ben comes up with the explanation.
2: Okay, so this isn't X-Files.
0: Well, no, it is like X-Files because there's also like there's always something about it every incident that could also be explained by supernatural means. They're very interested in this place where religion and science meet and how those lines shift depending on what you're looking at, what we know now versus what we knew before, all of those types of things. So it's like, yes, everything that is happening has a scientific explanation, but there are always aspects of it that cannot be explained. So, like, it's, it's a very interesting, like, push and pull between these characters, which is very similar to the ones between Mulder and Scully, where it's like, is this supernatural? Is it not? Does it depend on your definition?
2: There, there are some episodes of X-Files that are clearly supernatural.
0: Oh, yeah. And there are episodes where the audience probably thinks that what's happening is more supernatural than Kristen does. So, like, it, again, it goes back and forth. Like, it, it, this show wants you to be like, that's scientific. No, that's supernatural. Wait, could it be both? Like, that is what the show wants you to do. It wants you to sort of, like, be inside both of these characters and in their pull against each other on these cases. That's kind of what they're doing. It's also very interested in a question that was raised by The Good Fight. The Good Fight had a very interesting premise in that it was a spinoff of The Good Wife. It is a legal show, but they were very interested in asking political questions more than The Good Wife was because the beginning of The Good Fight basically wants to talk about Trump. It wants to talk about what happened in this country under Trump. And so this show looks at that, but from like a different perspective, it asks the question, like, what is evil? What does it actually look like? nowadays in a 21st century world where we have all this technology, we have all this different disinformation, we have all this manipulation, we have this resurgence of like white supremacy and racism, we have all of this misogyny that is becoming more and more prevalent, especially as people are able to connect with each other online. Um, it wants to ask these questions, but then also see if the answer can become it wants to ask if the these questions are better answered by science or by religion or both and so it really wants to investigate these things i think ben is the character who actually says that technology was supposed to make the world better but instead it's making a new religion of superstition and witch hunts like this idea that like even though we think technology is this like scientific objective thing it's creating these communities and these echo chambers Of people who are like not willing to use their critical thinking at all. Um, And so it is a very interesting show in that it wants to explore that tension. Uh, And I I would say that's probably the best way of talking about this show is that it's about tension. It's about the tension between different explanations of mysterious phenomena.
1: So I was thinking about, I mean, it it can seem going back to the X-Files comparison that this is a reverse X-Files, but it isn't. The X-Files is... I mean, there are a lot of episodes where whatever Chris Carter and friends are doing, it's to establish that the supernatural and the scientific are occasionally the same thing or they live more harmoniously than we think. I mean, these are the ones that I'm not as interested in as I am the, the alien conspiracy thing. But you take like an episode of Humbug, which is right. the, uh, the, the carnival episode... And the ending of the episode is probably one of the best endings where um, one of the characters is telling Scully that uh, nature abhors normality and, you know, starts talking to her about the way that quote unquote freaks exist because of these kind of anomalous things that actually happen in nature. And so what can aven- what can occasionally come across as supernatural is anything but that. And, the point that the character makes at the end of Humbug is that the reason that we see so many things as supernatural or unexplainable is that we've accepted a certain norm as the usual. And that's when the camera cuts to, to, to Mulder with his hands on his hips and the wind like picking up his jacket. And it's supposed to be this moment of like, yeah, this guy. Right. <laughs> like he's never going to understand this issue because he is the man. Right. Right? And that's the I think that's the kind of question. So I think Evil's doing something similar to episodes like Humbug where they're asking the question real not real except that's not the right question. The question is something else. A lot of these episodes are explainable in scientific ways but not in a way that's completely satisfying.
0: Right, and there are clear moments where we are asked to, something will seem supernatural, and I want to bring up Michael Emerson's character as a really good example of this. So Michael Emerson plays a character, uh, Leland, who is, he is also a forensic psychologist on the surface. That's how he introduces himself to people. But David immediately recognizes him as someone who is evil, and that is who he tells that is how he introduces this character to Kristen. He says, look, no matter what our differences are about religion versus science, we both know that there are people in the world who want to do evil. They want to get other people to do evil. Like that is like the thing that they want out of life because it makes them feel less alone. And she assumes that when he says that he means that my, uh, that Leland is a psychopath, which he is, but We also see these instances of David praying and Leland is clearly in the room with him talking to him and taunting him like a demon would. And so the question is, is this person the devil? Is he a demon or is or is he just the face of David's like temptation? Right. Like, is he really there? Is he not there? But he becomes like obsessed with Kristen and he's, like, looking for ways to attack her on various levels. He's looking for ways to propagate evil. He There's an episode where he's very involved with, uh, like, 4chan incel discussions. Like, he's egging them on. Like, th- that is what this character is. He is Ben from the island in Lost, but he's, like, a more supernatural version of that character. And he... Is great. Like Michael Emerson is so, he's so funny and charismatic and yet deeply disturbing at the same time. And he can balance all of those so well. Um, And he, his interactions with Kristen especially are just hilariously funny and dark. And I just, I he is probably one of the best parts of this show.
1: Although I don't think you have mentioned yet. The true stars of this show.
0: Yes. Uh, so the other thing about the show, and I was really nervous about this when we started because I was like, I, you know, I don't like this. There are children in this show. Uh, Kristen has four girls with her husband who we ha- I have not seen yet. He's like off mountain climbing, I guess. Um, and so <laughs> like we just haven't seen him. Uh,
1: so both Kristen and her husband are professional mountain climbers. Like, she has summited Everest multiple times and leads expeditions, as does her husband. But somebody's got to stay home and raise the kids. So when Tessa says he's off mountain climbing, he is actually off mountain climbing. Yeah, he's
0: actually off mountain climbing. But, like, there's obviously, like, a disconnect there. They're not separated. There doesn't seem to be any noticeable problems with their relationship on the surface. But it's very clear that, like, this is not a marriage that is going very well. But she, her children, the four girls are delightful. And I have to say like I usually don't like, you know, when they you make like a character a mom like this. I don't usually like children in horror. We've talked about this when we talked about the meta horror, but these these children are so funny and like cute and adorable and like they they are legitimately interesting characters in their own right. They have their own little storylines in this in these episodes one of the technical things that Sam and I noted in this is that somehow all four of them, because a lot of times they'll like mob her when she gets home or like they'll start talking to someone, but they'll talk over each other. You know how kids do that. They get excited and then they like they all start talking at the same time. And the technical thing that I think works really well is that these child actors are able to get their timing just right to where it sounds like a bunch of noise, but you can pick out what each individual person is saying at the same time. And it's hilarious, and it's funny, and it's adorable. So, like, I I really liked that they actually have this storyline for her. Not just because it makes stakes for this character, which I don't generally like mothers being reduced to their children as the stakes. But she has other stakes, too, right? Like, she has her marriage. She has you know her whole belief system is on the line in a lot of these situations and she is very attracted to david there is a lot of like flea bag se- sexual tension between the two of them in fact i think flea bag is, is actually to yeah, yeah the hot priest thing is actually mentioned um in the first season and so there is a lot of that as well if i had to describe this type of horror it would also be psychosexual There's a lot of, uh, she starts having sleep paralysis at one point. Uh, This is like in the first episode. She starts having sleep paralysis and demon appears to her during her sleep paralysis and his name is George. Because that's, that seems right. And the way that he talks to her is very sexual. It's very much about her relationship with David. And the question is, is he a night terror or is he actually a demon? Like there's a lot of like those types of storylines going on.
1: I have seen all the way through the first season. You haven't yet.
0: I'm most of the way through the first.
1: Thir- we are we are season. currently watching it on Paramount Plus. Oh yeah. Do you want to say? Do you want? You you, you say explain this because okay.
0: like it was so weird what so, happened.
1: I watched season one of Evil, and I watched it back when it was CBS All Access or something like that. It was a very early day of their their app, and. The first season is a very, it takes it takes a while to kind of get what the show's doing. You have not seen the end of season one where I think things really pick up. There's a cliffhanger and then COVID happened. Now they have eventually, they have put out seasons two and three and been renewed for a fourth one, but I'm anxious to get to season two.
0: The last thing I'll say about Evil is I wouldn't say that this is scary, but it is very creepy. Unless you're freaked out by demons, unless you come from a religious background in which demons are like a thing that really freaks you out, there are at least two exorcisms. Although, like, is it an exorcism? Is it not? That's like one of the questions of the show. If that scares you, stay away from this show. But if that doesn't scare you particularly, I would say it's much more creepy than it is scary. It is very dark, though. A lot of very disturbing things happen a lot of them are off camera but you you do get the sense that like they're not pulling punches when it comes to the horror they're just not showing you it necessarily all right highly recommend if any of that appealed to you
2: winners all across the board this week
0: winners all across the board this week it sounds like we've got some good television for people to put on their on their lists All right, next time, we will be joined by first-time guest Emily Mazar from TV John for our Anne Rice episode. We're going to discuss the novels Interview with a Vampire and The Witching Hour and the first three episodes of the new Interview with a Vampire television show, which Emily has written about for TV John. So I'm very excited about that. Where can people find us? Where can people find you, Andy?
2: Uh, You can find me on uh, Twitter at Andy Noted.
0: Sam, where can people find you?
1: You can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris9.
0: You can find me on Twitter and Letterbox at The Buy Paradox. You can also find me on my other podcast, Nanny Oggs Book Club, where my friend Nigel and I are reading through all 41 of Terry Pratchett's Discworld novels. When this episode comes out, we will have just released our episode on the truth. So definitely check me out there. You can also listen to Sam and I on our second weekly podcast recap show. We just released our last episode of Sam Watches Star Trek for the first season of TNG, and we are about to start season five of Lost in Tessa Watches Lost. Send us your thoughts about the monkeys we talked about today, what pop culture you've crossed off your list lately, what you'd like for us to talk about on future episodes, or anything else that comes to mind. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at monkeybacklog, email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Follow us on Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Get that monkey off your back.